Hi everyone, I'm Nate. And I'm Shelby. And welcome to Almost Heretical, the show for those questioning, deconstructing, or changing in their relationship to God, church, and the Bible. When we started questioning our faith, we felt alone and unequipped to handle the barrage of questions and verses that were being lobbed at us, both by Christian friends and often by our own minds. But when we began to examine the Bible from an academic perspective, we discovered that we weren't crazy and we might actually be onto something really beautiful. And we're here to help you navigate your own deconstruction, connect with others on this journey through our Facebook group and Zoom calls, and find a way forward built on a foundation of honesty and authenticity. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Who are you? There's some days I think I know, and other days I don't. So I'll continue the necessary sifting to find what I've been missing. All right, we have a new idea for a type of show we're going to do. It's not going to be every episode, but we're going to start mixing these in quite frequently. And it's essentially, remember the old days where you would just preach through the Bible from <laughs> Genesis to Revelation? For like five years. <laughs> for five years? Well, Romans took like five years. Yeah. Then you take a break for Psalms in the summer. But anyways, um, we're going to just kind of go through. We might not stop on every passage. We might not do every mm. book. We probably won't. But we're going to do what seems interesting to us and uh, and kind of go from there. So we thought we would start at the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with this podcast, Almost Heretical, you will have likely listened to the first few episodes of this show, which were done over five years. Those were recorded over five years ago now, which is crazy. Yeah, we did a whole series on the fall, um, following a lot of Dr. Michael Heiser's work um, on kind of the divine realm and the divine beings and the heavenly realm and these other uh, these other beings and giants and Nephilim in the land and how like the mating of humans with these creatures and how a lot of what we see in Genesis and even some other places in the Old Testament dealt a lot with, you know, removing the high places in the land and, and you know, Goliath had to do with the giants that were, it's, it's really crazy stuff. And it's all that weird stuff in the Bible that you don't usually hear sermons about. That's what we wanted to do with that early series as a way of saying, there's nothing off limits anymore. We can talk about this stuff and we can be like, that's weird. That's strange. That might be a worldview that ancient people held, and we don't have to hold that. And that's uh, that's what this book is. Um, it's also other things. There's wisdom literature. There's uh, poetry. There's, but that is one of the aspects. Is there's ancient worldviews held within these pages, and so we have a chance to kind of go through and look at different things. This time through Genesis, we might look at completely different things than what we looked at before. Some of it might be looking at some of the same things with with uh, new eyes. So. That's sort of my overview. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say there? Yeah, I think a few a few notes about at least my idea of what this series is going to be going into it. First of all, it's not going to be exhaustive. Like we're not trying to cover everything that could be covered about the Bible. That would just that would be ridiculous. And uh, it's it's mostly what we think is interesting and worth talking about. And a lot of it's going to be just yeah the types of things that maybe. A lot of us never learned growing up or things that help us look at things in a whole new light compared to the way we used to see the Bible. Also, it's not going to be verse by verse. Like some episodes are going to focus really deeply on maybe a couple of verses, and this will probably be one of them starting in Genesis 1, big, big chapter. But then others, I mean, personally, I think when we get to, you know, the book of Leviticus, 
we might cover that whole book in one episode. So it's, it's really just going to be up to us and what we decide is is cool and interesting. And it's also going to be based a lot on the, the feedback we get and the emails we get with either your questions about certain passages um, that we'll be weaving in, or if you learned something that you felt like was really helpful or interesting um, about a passage, send it in and we'll be stoked to to put that into our Through the Bible series. So Through yeah. the Bible, I like that. I mean, Through the Bible is not uh, original to, to me. I don't know if anyone else out there had a dad who listened to J. Vernon McGee go through the Bible over and over again on, it's like a 20 minute radio episode. Oh, I used to, yeah, I, yeah, okay. I used to disc jockey these on Christian radio back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I know. So he's about. the original through the Bible guy. I mean. Right, right. Okay, my joke. Uh, Leviticus, the place where good Bible reading plans go to die. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was, a, that you said Leviticus a long time ago, but I had to get to my joke. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to Leviticus. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's where the series will die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Okay, so in the beginning and in the background, you'll hear a little birds chirping and the garden these sounds. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, No, but there's no garden yet. We've got to go. Oh, I mean, Genesis 1-1. One, one. Like, so, okay, okay. But before we dive right in, I mean, so we're starting with Genesis. We got to just do a basic overview really quickly of, of this book in general. I mean, this is one of the, I mean, I don't know if you can, how you classify the importance of books of the Bible, but if you did, this would be one of the most important. I don't think However, we were allowed to qualify or <laughs> quantify or say which books were the most important. Although I think pretty much All anyone. scripture is God. Yeah, breathed, sure, sure. Shall we? Yeah, that's, that wasn't written by the ancient Jews. They, um, although it's, I found it interesting that Genesis is not the oldest book in the Bible, even though, you know, we think of it that way because it's talking about what in our mind is the oldest things. It's talking about the oldest stories of Israel. Um, actually, Job is probably what scholars would consider to be the oldest. Although, of course, there's an oral tradition behind many, if not most, of the texts of the Old Testament. But the really the impetus behind the writing down of a lot of these things and the forming of them into actual um, stories that could be used over and over again was, for many of the texts, was the Babylonian exile and then the coming back from that exile and trying to reestablish a Jewish culture. That's when um, the formation of the Torah was really solidified. That's when a lot of these books came into being, which, you know, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people, like in my mind, that's fairly late in the game. Like that's only a few hundred years. That's like fifth or sixth century BC, only a few hundred years before Jesus is showing up that these books are even actually coming into formation, which means... Job is over 400 years older than Genesis. There you go. That's a, that's a, long, a long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so a lot of these texts formed after the exile. Um, interesting to think about the fact that, you know, most of the history of Israel and these, all these figures that we think of from, you know, I mean, not Adam and Eve down to uh, Abraham, Moses, you know, Joshua, David, like all of these events existed or happened in whatever form before any of this writing happened. I mean, all of this had already happened by the time you start getting the actual writings of texts like Genesis hundreds of years before. So it just, I guess, sets a perspective of like, these really are legends and lore and kind of in many ways myths not myth in the sense of fairy tale but myths in the sense of you know kind of legends um the more the more traditional sense of the word myth um that's all being compiled here so that's just a helpful way to go at it of like these 
are not being written, you know, as the events are happening, not even close. This is in light of returning from the Babylonian exile, trying to reestablish a a culture and figure out who are we. That's when all of this starts to Mm. really take on importance. All right. So we're going to start with Genesis 1-1. And honestly, probably not even the entire creation story today because there's so much packed in here that we're likely going to get, my plan is to get from verse 1 to verse 9. We may not even get that far. And so to preface, I mean, this creation story, like this is a pretty a pretty big story that we're diving into and one that we probably all have a lot of background with. I mean, this story has been the source of so much debate, especially in the last, or I mean, it feels like in the last hundred years or as the scientific revolution has really taken place several centuries now. I mean, this story has become, you know, the place where you go to debate science and, you know, evolution versus creation and young earth creationism. And and, I mean, what did, yeah, what did you learn about that Um, growing up? Uh, we, we got, I got like a stack of questions on Genesis alone. These were just the ones that were seemed to be saying something about Genesis 1, and there were tons and tons more um, of Genesis as, in total. Um, uh, Kayla, a uh, listener of the show, said um, a bunch of stuff. And then also, what I want to know is, do you have to believe that Adam and Eve were actually the first two humans on the world? Or is that just the literary style of Genesis, basically a metaphor imagery? We had some others about um, the science of it as mm-hmm. well. And I mean, that's that was, I think, a question I had. In uh, it, it, it feels like a, and we talked about this, we just did an episode, just got, just released, so go check it out, about Catholicism on Utterly Heretical. Um, Which is our second podcast. It's our second podcast we do for supporters of the show. You can also get it on um, on Apple Podcasts. Um, by supporting the show on Apple Podcasts, you'll get all those episodes as well. But we were talking about, you know, the science. We look at some of these, especially Old Testament, especially creation story and flood and, um, you know, the Exodus and that type of thing. Things that we can now maybe prove <laughs> archaeologically or scientifically didn't or could not have happened. Those are paths out for a lot of people of uh, Christianity, evangelicalism, the faith. Um, and we're not like here trying to tell you like, don't leave and or like don't take those paths out like go go wherever you need to go but, but because we've been told so dogmatically that yeah. you have to hold a certain position like a literal seven day creation type of a thing right. then when people start to realize that that doesn't really make a lot of sense then yeah it, yeah a kid grows up being told no it's it's literally like they happen to be at a church that was it's literal seven days and anyone tells you otherwise is trying to you know diminish the word of god and dismantle this book and they don't have faith and they don't and then you start to be like, well, I don't think it is, I, I, you know, and pretty good evidence that it's not. And then you're like, well, I, I at least cannot be a part of that community anymore. Yeah. And there's there's already one lo- that's that's lost now in your life, and you're off to something else, and either a different community within the tradition, faith tradition, or you're like, you know what? I, and you start asking yourself questions like, well, what was was this serving me even? Like, how, why am I doing like so? You know, these are these can be channels out and paths out for people, um, and that's what I see in, you know, in some of these questions people asking about. The answer is no. You don't have to believe that Adam and Eve were the first humans on the right. earth. Right, right, and that's because this this uh, chapter, this story, which you know, there weren't chapter breaks when this was originally written. So, and actually, the 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 story, this first creation narrative, probably goes from one one to. 2-4, chapter 2-4. That's where the actual natural break should be. So I'm sure there's a reason why they didn't do that, but uh, scholars would maybe change 
where that break is if if it was an, a simple process, which it's not. So, but anyway, it's a very poetic passage. I mean, it is a poem, and more so in Hebrew than in English. And probably as we go through the passage today, I'm, I'm going to emphasize the Hebrew a lot because I just think it's so beautiful. I won't always dig into the the Hebrew as much or Greek as we if we ever get to the New Testament, which I sure hope we do. Um, but I, it feels so applicable and so valuable um, when we're talking about Genesis 1 because it's a poem and, and it's a rhythmic, ritualistic um, story that and that's just really important. So no one should have seen this as a descriptive definition. It's not a textbook of how... Are you listening, Ken Ham? <laughs> the Answers in Genesis was a, a big part of my um, my upbringing. But yeah, they got, we'll, we'll probably come back to them throughout this. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, and the the problem with it, not to opine too far on this, but is that you, by focusing on that aspect, the literalness of these texts, you end up missing, which I think is what we're largely going to talk about today, this whole other realm of things you can get from this text and the beauty of what it was intended to be. And you end up constructing you know, an arc or something where like that wasn't necessarily the goal. Of, I think they're building the Tower of Babel now, which just blows my mind. Yeah, we've talked about this. Um, by by fighting your whole life to say it was a literal seven days and it couldn't be any of these, you, you end up missing the poetry here or yeah. whatever we're going to And as has been said many times by, um, you know, more progressive scholars. I mean, this is not a, this is not like a progressive position to hold. It's just not a ultra conservative position to hold, I would say, is that... Um, we we are coming at we we have often in the more conservative evangelical world come at Genesis one asking the wrong questions that this isn't meant to be uh, the answer to how exactly did the world come into creation? Um, there's a commentary uh, a whole book on just Genesis chapters one through eleven um, by Claus Westerman and he said. Uh, I just thought this was a helpful quote. He said, all that can be presumed with certainty is that the creation narratives were not originally answers to the question about the origins of the world and of humanity. They arose from the everyday concern about the stability of the present state and of human existence. And again, that this is coming from the perspective of a whole people group that has been completely, I mean, just demolished, their whole society destroyed, and then sent into exile, and then finally coming back. So their concern, their main concern is not, how did the world come into being? Their main concern is, who is God? What is our 
identity? What what kind of a God is this? And how important are we in the story? Yeah, who are we as a people? And all these kind of questions, right? Yeah. And what's really interesting is that scholars compare Genesis 1's creation account the most frequently with um, the Babylonian creation account, which would have been something that the Jews would have been familiar with because they've just spent you know, an entire period of exile in that community. And that, that story is called the Enuma Elish. It's this creation myth. And it tells the story of the creation of the world and is very polytheistic. It's also, it's very much about the rise of the gods. And I'm going to read this little summary to, and you'll, I think you'll just be struck by how incredibly different this is than the story that we're familiar with about the creation of the world. And keeping in mind that this story is being told around the people who then formed Genesis around the same time. Like these stories kind of came into their final form around the same time. So we're very likely um, in connection with each other, in, com- in contrast with each other, as you'll see. So the narrative begins with the primordial gods Apsu and Tiamat, who represent the fresh and salt water, respectively. They give birth to a pantheon of younger gods who become disruptive and noisy, disturbing the peace of Apsu. Apsu plans to destroy them, but the god Ea learns of his intentions, and kills Apsu in self-defense. Tiamat, enraged by Apsu's death, seeks revenge and creates an army of monstrous creatures. She appoints her son, Kingu, as the leader of this army. The gods, fearing Tiamat's wrath, are unable to defeat her. However, Marduk, the god of Babylon, this is an important character for Babylon, it's their main god, offers to confront Tiamat in exchange for being made the supreme ruler of the gods. Marduk engages in a fierce battle with Tiamat and eventually emerges victorious. He splits her body in two, forming the heavens and the earth. From Tiamat's eyes, he creates the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Marduk then shapes humanity from the blood of Kingu, which was Tiamat's son, to serve and worship the gods. So that's the creation narrative that was probably most close to the Jews. So we'll just take that lens. I mean, what it had, you know, what are your initial thoughts hearing that kind of a story? Well, and again, they would have been living amongst this too. So even if it wasn't written or in no, written yeah. form yet, like they would have been hanging out with a lot of people that were living with this worldview of worshiping is, Marduk. Right. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of violence, obviously, a lot of yeah. death and destruction, and uh, but yeah, very, a very violent story. Yeah, very violent, um, very polytheistic, and um, so we can see where the contrast would have come into play. Um, what's what makes this significant? I think I mean, there's no tension in the Genesis one creation narrative that we're about to dig into, whereas the one we just read is just full of of it. Um, and also, what's interesting in the Genesis narrative is that um, the focus is not actually Israel, like. The people of Israel are not singled out in the story at all. It's just purely about humanity. And let's, um, Westerman, the, the scholar I quoted earlier, um, he wrote, One cannot overestimate the significance of preserving and passing on a tradition about humanity in which God's vis-a-vis is not Israel with its rubricized liturgy and law, but the cosmos, creation, and people. Israel, with all its esoteric and exclusive traditions, never lost sight of what God was doing for the world and its inhabitants. Which is just a cool, hmm. cool perspective. Yeah, I like that. Um, last note before we start to actually get into Genesis. Another um, creation narrative that, or creation narratives, that were likely touching or influencing the Jewish culture at the time are Egyptian creation stories, which of which there were many, because there's 
many, many Egyptian gods. But two of the most prominent stories, um, one involves many gods whose children are the various elements of creation. It's not as violent as the Enuma Elish that we just read. Um, but one, one interesting thing is that there's the noon, which is the primordial chaos, which is actually, you know, kind of, we see a little bit of that in the, um, in verse two, I think of Genesis and the, but the first God, Atum brought himself into being out of that. So a little kind of different than what we're going to see in Genesis is that that God comes into being from this, the matter rather than the, the God pre-existing it. And then the other um, of the most prominent Egyptian creation stories, and this one I think is maybe the most similar of all the ones I saw to Genesis 1, um, although it's still polytheistic versus monotheistic. But in this one, the main creative force is the god Ptah. I'm not sure exactly how you're supposed to pronounce it. It's P-T-A-H, Ptah. Um, and the story just follows Ptah's um, and uh, his orderly formation of the earth with excellent craftsmanship. Like he's this, no, this God known for being an, a, a craftsman when, and having beautiful workmanship. Um, and so it, there's some of that lack of tension, that lack of conflict, and that more of an emphasis on the beauty of the creation. But it differs from Genesis in that there is a lack of focus on humans and not as much emphasis on like the goodness of creation that we see a lot in Genesis 1. So that's hopefully just sets a bit of the stage for the the culture in which this creation narrative is being formed. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I grew up thinking that, you know, the Genesis 1 story of God creating the world, that existed. And then everybody else started creating their own creation stories. But really, like, we're one of the bunch. Like, we were not we. I mean, I'm throwing myself in with the Jews. The Jewish narrative creation story was not the first it was one of many. I mean, every culture had one. Do we have any, like, I don't know how we would even have this, but any way of knowing if this was something that was being orally passed down for, you know, years before it was actually written? Or was this kind of like a, I mean, what we're painting here is a bit like, you know, they were they were in exile. They heard these other stories and they're like, hey, let's go write our own. Um, but maybe this was also something that was passed down to orally. I don't know. Yeah, it's, um, it is, I mean, oral tradition is very, very hard to trace. And Genesis 1, actually this leads right into what I was about to, <laughs> one more preface to before the actual verse. Sure. Well, when you look at the Old Testament, Old Testament scholars, Hebrew Bible scholars, use what's called the documentary hypothesis, um, which it basically divides all the parts of the Old Testament, every passage, or ver- down to sometimes even phrases, and attributes it to a certain source. And usually there's four sources that are referenced and they're called, they're, they're, we use initials to reference them, which is J, D, E, and P. Um, J stands for Yahwist, which we would often spell with a, a Y, but think of like Jehovah. And that source uses the, the divine name Yahweh. That's one of the main ways that we distinct, dis, distinguish it. Um, and that one's considered to be one of the oldest, probably 9th or 10th century BC. And that one focuses largely on the southern kingdom of Judah. So it's kind of this more more history um, happening more, the being written more closely to when that actually happened. Uh, the D of the JDEP stands for Deuteronomist, and it's largely the book of Deuteronomy and has a lot of theological and legal perspectives. And it's thought to be written during the reign of Josiah. 
The E stands for Elohist, and this source off generally uses the term Elohim for God rather than Yahweh. And you see those if you don't see those in English unless well, you, you can notice it because if you see the word God, that's likely Elohim, whereas if you see the word Lord in all caps, that's likely the word Yahweh. So you can see a little bit of, of that showing up in English. And then the last one, which is the one relevant to us today, is the P. This stands for priestly. And the source um, represents what would be called priestly material in that it focuses on ritual, genealogies, legal regulations, and that's the one that's thought to be written after the Babylonian exile around 5th or 6th century BC. And largely, yeah, a part of this creating of, recreating of a, a religious Jewish culture. Hmm. So the so Genesis 1 is categorized into that P tradition, which is actually one of the latest. And so while it definitely can have an oral background, um, it's it's attributed to maybe one of the, the later actual writings of the Old Testament. So as we go through this whole series, you know, most of these passages that we go through, I'll probably mention like which of those J, D, E, or P categories it falls into, if it's relevant. It's not always super relevant to the conversation, but it can be. And it's helpful to just recognize that these these books are not necessarily written as chunks. They were, they're sources. Scholars think that there were maybe these main four sources. They're not super dogmatic about that because there's only so many ways that we can know. But that the the scholars, Jewish scholars, ancient Jewish scholars, wove those four sources together, kind of like what we talk about in the New Testament, that there's sources that the Gospels pull on to form sure. the Gospels. So it's basically like that for the entire Hebrew Bible. Oh, like if we're still looking for Q. Yeah. Uh, so Q is another letters. is a New Testament source, whereas J D E P are Old Testament sources, uh, and they're they're all. I mean, it's called the documentary hypothesis because it's all it's all essentially hypothetical, but a lot of research behind. Interesting. Okay, are we ready to read Genesis? I 1? think we are ready to actually okay. read. Also, to <laughs> one, clarify, one. when you said in this series, we're not like doing a series on Genesis right now. This is a new type of show that we are going to do a lot of. Uh, it could be the main thing we do, mixed in with guests here and there, but. Um, which we have a really exciting guest coming up soon. Just got to say that. We don't like to timestamp <laughs> these, but I'm so excited about this guest. <laughs> Biggest guest we've ever gotten. Um, and uh, I just lost my train of thought. This, this guest series. made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> You're talking about the series. It's not a series. Exactly. It's not a series. Um, this is a new type of show. Oh, yeah. It's not a series in the... In, usually we do them all back to back. Yeah. Like or, the canon series or the woman series. But, or they're like an eight episode, four episode yeah, type of thing. This one's going to be is, kind of ongoing. Exactly. Maybe the future of the show, if y'all like it out there. <laughs> Submit your questions. Tell us what to talk about. Um, There's essentially no end to the Bible. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1. 1. Okay. Read it with the most just passion what's that and guy? emphasis. Yeah. What's that guy that oh, used to, oh. the audio, the, yeah. he read the NIV translation in the beginning. Oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I don't know if I'll do that. No, it's okay. okay. We don't want to make fun of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Well, again, a little slower. This is the NIV, by the way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I, I remember some sermons where it was like, in the beginning, God. And you stopped there. and you Stopped had, there. You, you oh, yeah. You preached a whole week on that. Well, and what was the like message behind that? That God was there before anything. Yeah. That God was, God existed. And then, then you, you get to John 1, right? In the mm -hmm. beginning was the word. And so Jesus was there too. Which <laughs> we had a question about this. I don't know where this is. Hold on. Not that this is what you want to talk about. Oh, this is... Uh, 
Uh, this is so funny. Okay, this is an email from 2021. Sorry. Um, it See, send with, in those emails. <laughs> you never know when they're going to come back. Yeah, so, well, we do, we do reply to uh, a lot of the emails, but if you're a patron of the show, you're, you know, you're in the Facebook group and you're on the calls and you're talking to us all the time. So, um, but the general questions that we get, we, um, we try to weave them in. Two episodes. Uh, this email says, my good friend Shelby, this is talking mm. about you, <laughs> uh, recommended your podcast to me. This is, uh, this is actually funny. This is before Shelby was on the podcast. On the podcast. So it's kind of, uh, this is when you were just a listener of the show and you recommended the show to someone. So thank you for You're your welcome. contributions. Uh, thank you to my past self. I'm in a place of being unsatisfied with the evangelical church. Welcome to the club. Uh, thanks so much for what you guys are doing and your positive approach to learning. It's really inspired me. I've started from the beginning and listened to the first three episodes. So referencing back to our like Divine Realm Genesis series we did. Question for you. You guys talk about God, how God uses the pronoun us multiple times in the first few chapters of Genesis. And this attests to the fact that there were other divine beings present. I've heard it suggested that us is referring to the Trinity. Would you say there's evidence that suggests that Jesus was president in the present in the garden? <laughs> Jesus was president. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, isn't that a book? Who's that by? Um, oh, Shane Claiborne, Jesus for President. Um, anyway. That, it said Jesus was present. Jesus was present in the garden. And I think this does largely come from John 1, where you get the, in the mm-hmm. beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was with God. And the, I mean, if you believe the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then you get a verse like, let us make man in our image, right. then, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, in verse 2, you get, the Genesis 1-2, you get, and the spirit of God was hovering over mm-hmm. the world. So there it is. It feels you got like them all. You feel, well, I mean, so far you've gotten God and spirit, so. But I'm saying, you could argue that's the if Trinity, you take John 1. Yeah, sure. Not, you know, if you go into the New Testament, you take John 1, then you got, you got everyone there. Sure. Potentially. <laughs> yeah, and I would the, uh, disagree, but, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, obviously Jesus was not even born by the time this was being written, so if you want to, like, you know, retrospectively put him in there, sure, but the per- the people forming the story had no no concept of a trinity and no concept of Jesus. <laughs> he did not exist. A, a messiah figure. Yeah, but they did not, I don't think they would have thought of him as a, I mean, the messiah was, <laughs> this was not in the, the notes at all, and that's great. The The messiah was uh, meant to be a, a revolutionary figure that largely was, you know, um, freeing them from political and geographical tyranny not mm. wasn't meant to be literally god um, not that in and of itself is a crazy topic which is funny because that's the most important part of jesus now, i think for <laughs> yeah. most people okay yeah. anyway anyway you in the beginning god and actually i i like that you brought, bring that up because when because i too heard so many sermons on emphasizing this in the beginning god when you read it in hebrew that's not actually the sentence structure at all like if you're the the hebrew structure is more like in the beginning created God the heavens and the earth. Or um, a Jewish commentary said, literally <laughs> changed it this much, said that a better translation might be when God began to create the heavens and the earth. Da, 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 da. So it's hmm. not even a, like Genesis 1 1 doesn't even have to be read as a complete statement. Like it, we, which has become so iconic in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like this is just the setting, but it, this, I mean, if you get really technical, the, the very first word is berashit, which can mean in the beginning, but the, the B at the beginning of that, the B sound, the berashit can also mean kind of when, like it can be the, the setting of a, of a phrase, the when God began 
to create patterns mm. in the earth. So now explain to me this this poetry thing because I've I've been told this is a poem, right? And you said this is a poem. Like, what is that? Yeah, and by poem, I don't necessarily mean. So there's not like some structure, some. Oh, there's definitely a structure, but it doesn't. Okay. It, it Does doesn't it follow... rhyme. I okay. should say. Well, yeah, sure. Um, but it, but there, it's def. There's definitely structure. The, the stuff that you're totally familiar with, um, like. Uh, you know, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, or and God saw that it was good, like repetition. But there's also when you read it in Hebrew, some of these things become a little more clear, and, and we're gonna get into those as we go. Okay. So that so okay, so that's verse one. In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. And you know what? I just I love the Hebrew of this chapter so much that I just want to read it, even if even if you don't have a clue what it says. I just I this was read aloud, even though. It, we were just saying it might not necessarily have a super long oral tradition. It was an oral um, experience for the people because people didn't really read it. Like you had your, your synagogue leader who would read it, but everyone else was hearing it. And when you had it in your home, it was, you were repeating it to your children. So once it became you know part of the culture, it was an oral experience for the most part. So I'm just going to read it in Hebrew because I just think it's beautiful. Bereshit bara Elohim. For the language people out there, it's beautiful. You probably heard the word Elohim in there. Yeah. I like to encourage people. You can pick out little words, you know, in know any language. One. I know that one. You know that one. All right, so that's verse one. We won't always be going literally verse by verse, but this, this chapter, we just have to. Verse two. You want to read that one for us? Verse two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I love this verse, and I feel like it doesn't get as much emphasis as it should have. I feel like I can picture this. There's one. so much mystery in it. Yeah, it doesn't, and it's not. It's not at all the the seven day answers in Genesis type of creation. It's just okay. So, the earth was formless and void, or however it was you read it, unformed, void. There's there's a lot formless of formless and empty is what the NIV says. But yeah, void. What was that? With that? Well, there's a lot of different the, ways to translate it because ESV? the phrase that's used in Hebrew is a very uh, kind of poetic word. It's tohu vavohu. Um, and the, the phrase tohu vavohu, which it's it's two words put together. It's, uh, it's like emptiness and formlessness. Or the, but the phrase itself is not used anywhere else in the Old Testament. So it's a um, it's meant to just be creating this image of like primordial. I mean, some could say the primordial soup that then, you know, led to the spontaneous life. Who knows? What's interesting here, I think, is I, I mean, very much grew up believing that God created everything out of nothing. I mean, creatio ex nihilo. That's like a a Latin phrase for creation out of nothing. Hmm. And it's like a a whole doctrine of, and it's emphasized to us, I think, to, of the power of God and the, the originality of God. Like God is before everything and created everything out of nothing. I mean, I was just, that was unquestionable and incredibly important to my upbringing. It's like painted all over this canvas, right? This blank canvas. But the question is, where'd the canvas, where'd come, the canvas from? come from? Oh, interesting. Never right? heard it that way. Because he's hovering over water. Yeah. Well, and this, this tohu vavohu, this unformed chaosness, it doesn't mean nothing. It means mm. unformedness, like a bunch of clay that's sitting there. So in the beginning, there is something that God then does stuff with which is just wow. different than yeah. I feel like we talk. And it's right here. It's not like... It's not hidden. Yeah. It's like a pile of Legos, right? Like, yeah, you created that thing, but you didn't necessarily make the Legos. Yeah. It was a bunch and of... Maybe, a big pile you know, of Legos. Sure, maybe God created the 
the tohu vavohu too. But the, that's not important to this story. This story doesn't care where the the chaosness and all the unformed stuff came from. What's ma- what's important is what God does with it. Mm-hmm. So okay, then we get into the other interesting part of this that the spirit of God hovers over the face of the waters. Like whoa! I mean, that's yeah. That doesn't really come up anywhere else in the rest of the story. And like, why is it even in there? And what does it mean? And this the spirit of God um, here is the word ruach, which means as as does the equivalent word in Greek. It means spirit and wind and breath, all of those things together. I think I, I've been kind of experimenting with um, the 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 name ruach as actually like a different way to refer to God. I have this. Uh, ongoing project in my mind and with um, actually one of our listeners who does the the monthly one-on-one calls with me. We've talked about this a lot. Which if you do want to go deeper, we, we obviously have the $5 a month, become a patron of the show. You get on the calls with us, the group calls with us. You get the um, Facebook group, you get ad-free version of the show, second podcast we do, all that kind of stuff. But there is another level if you want even um, longer calls just with Shelby to kind of like talk about some of the stuff, talk about what you're processing, all that kind of stuff. Get a good, you know, 45 minutes to an hour with Shelby. There's a whole every other, month. yeah, every month. There's a whole other plan for that on Patreon. So go over there if that's something that would be interesting to you. Yeah. So um, one of the people that I talked to, we've talked a lot about you know what to call God as we, as we talk about trying to you know demasculinize God in our experience and emphasize the the feminine side and and just even the name. Any of the names that we've used for God have this masculine element. Even the word God is the male version of the female word goddess. And we don't necessarily want to pick one. So anyway, all that to say, in in our experimentation, we've thought about maybe we could use this Hebrew word ruach as like the new way that we talk about God. Because it's Mm. just this, it means it's the spirit. It feels a little more gender free or something like that. Yeah. And more, you know, some people go to like universe or talking about God in these other ways and kind of has that same thing, like this spirit, this element, this thing, something that's kind of above and within everything sort of a concept, which I think people are trying to get to with universe. Okay. And so what's the spirit of God, this Ruach, the Ruach Elohim doing here is um, hovering over the face of the waters. Um, I looked, I took that word hovered and looked at the other places that it's used uh, in the Old Testament, which you can do all, all of this for free on your own without knowing Hebrew. I use the Blue Letter Bible. It's a website and, a, and an app, um, and it's it's pretty awesome. So it's the Hebrew word rahaf, which is only used uh, about three times in the Old Testament. One of the other uses is in Deuteronomy 32, 11, and it's talking about um, an, an eagle hovering over its young. And I just I think that's a beautiful picture of likely a mother eagle, and and then we have here this picture of uh, the spirit of God hovering over the the face of the mm. the waters and just yeah. this like something that's growing and about to be and about to be born and it's caring for it. But who knows? I mean, that's those things are written. They they didn't these verses didn't necessarily know about each other as they were written, but it's just an interesting use of the word. But let's go to verse 3. You ready for it? Let's do it. All right, verse 3. Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Uh, This is a good example of where in Hebrew, it's more of a poem than in English. 
Um, I mean, it, it does feel a little bit poetic here. Like, let there be light and there was light. It feels like there's a rhythm. Yeah, I can feel it. I can yeah. see it. But in Hebrew, it literally says, Vayomer Elohim, which means, and God said, Yehi Or, Vayhi Or. It's just, Or means light. And those, the other two words are like this to be verb. Like where we would, we have to use three words, let there be, before we even get to the word light. And then, and there was light. Like it's just, it's a lot. Whereas here, it's so much simpler. It's just literally, and God said, Yehi Or, Vahi Or. It's, there's, like, it's just beautiful, literally, to read. Yeah. What's interesting here, and probably a lot of you have noticed this in your, when you were deconstructing, maybe a, if, you, if you had to deconstruct a literal seven-day creation upbringing, is that light is made right here in, in day one, whereas the sun isn't made until day four. So then... What's the light? Yeah. And, and how did the creation literalists deal with... I mean, did this ever come up for you? No. I don't think that was ever... An issue. And, uh, which is funny because we read this over and over again. Yeah. And we believed the literal seven-day creation. So it's just... I, yeah, I wasn't... I don't think I was like a hardcore literal seven-day. Oh, I was pretty hardcore. But uh, it's just... It's interesting to me that I could believe that though so seriously and then also believe that I was reading the Bible so honestly and just not really even notice these inconsistencies. Yeah, I mean, I guess I believed that. I don't know that I held it that dogmatically. Um, like I wasn't out like fighting people about... 7,000 years or, or whatever. But I think, yeah, I believed that. And I think, and I was kind of anti-science because they were always trying to prove that, you know, God isn't real by saying that evolution is real. Yeah. So I actually did, I went onto the Answers in Genesis website because I was like, what do they say about this? Like, this just feels like a big non-scientific element to the story here is that God's creating light and it's not the sun. It doesn't say what that is. Um, and it turns out they had this whole article on it. And I, I found it interesting, actually. They and they don't have an answer, but they do point out that early church fathers, as early as Tertullian, which is in the second century AD, um, and then Basil of Caesarea, which is the fourth century, Augustine, which is the fourth to fifth century, were all trying to explain this very thing mm. because they already were um, dealing, they were already trying to read Genesis 1 literally, even that early in Christianity. Mm. Um, so, being literal about Genesis 1 isn't necessarily a modern um, problem, but it's also not the most ancient. The most ancient is these, this Jewish version that's not concerned with the scientific actual order of things, but, um, but with who God is and what God's doing. It's interesting, and a scholar I was reading noted that God is credited with creating the light, but um, not the darkness. The darkness yeah, is already there. That is interesting. It's, but even so, he names both, which I guess is verse 4. You want to read verse 4 for us? Yeah, verse 4. Genesis, Genesis 1, 4 says, God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. So yeah, that's, um, that's interesting to me that the, that the darkness is considered um, an element worth naming that God... Oh, go, go ahead and read verse 5 too. We'll just do okay, 4 or 5, five. together. Okay. God called the light day... And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Yeah, so God's naming these things, which in um, ancient, the ancient world was a symbol of domination and ownership. And by name, I mean, and even in the modern world, that's when you name something, it's essentially claiming it. Right, planting your flag yeah. right there. Yeah. In fact, things get renamed when someone else discovers <laughs> yeah. the land, right? Yeah, New England. Um, and then we get that, uh, the end of this verse, there was evening and there was morning the first day. And that's another one of those you know, repetitive phrases that s 
makes this a bit more of a, a poem and a liturgy. And one thing that's beautiful about it is, again, when you compare it to the like Enuma Elish that we were reading in this just there's this is so the Genesis version is so lacking in in violence it's just evening morning day one and it's so full of structure whereas that's the one that we read earlier is there's no timeline to it really other than just you know then there was this person who fought this person who killed this person who battled this person and whereas this is uh, the orderliness of it is is saying something about the character of God not necessarily how the things actually right. came into being. Um, this and also the evening, morning, first day. This is, as we know, there's going to be seven days in the whole story. And this, it's a very common seven-day typology in the ancient Near East. Many festivals were six days long, and then the seventh day would be like this big change or shift, and the the would be the kind of this climax of things that would that would be different than the other six days, which is interesting. And we'll get to that when we get to the seventh day. Which is, probably, which is not going to be in this episode, maybe not even the next. Um, <laughs> but there's there's no other, even though the seven-day typology is a very common pattern in the ancient Near East, there's no other creation narrative that uses it um, for the story of creation, which is just kind of cool. Oh. Okay, okay, we got to stop. We got to stop here. That's going to be the end of this one. And okay, this we be, made it through five verses. <laughs> this will just be how it goes. We talk about some stuff and um, then we go on to the next one. It's not a series, not a part one, not a part two, just... We're going to keep going. and uh, But this episode is actually going to continue over on our second podcast we do, Utterly Heretical. Or if you're in a- Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, you can um, just click and listen to the second part, the bonus episode that's going to come out. Because I'm, I'm about to ask Shelby about the perfection. Um, you know, I've often heard this idea of like heaven is going to be getting back to perfection because that's what we saw in the garden was perfection and so let's chat about that a little bit so keep on listening if you are a supporter of the show and if you're not you can just click to support the show it's like five dollars a month Uh, it helps us keep doing this show and you get a bunch of benefits bunch of perks and all that kind of stuff for for supporting as well if you have questions comments things you want to say things you want us to cover on the show things we missed please submit it contact at almostheretical.com or if you're a supporter of the show, you can do that in the Facebook group or on the next Zoom call and we'll get that into the next episode. All right, thanks so much for following along and listening along with us. See you next time for verse six. Be holy, open invitation That sounds more like truth